Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month, taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees, we're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and we are coming off a victory. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a win, but it, you know, it counts. It counts in the win column. That, ladies and gentlemen, an ugly, ugly football game, but a victory. Nevertheless, the Chicago Bears defeat the Carolina Panthers 16-13 to increase their win total to three on the season, sitting at three and seven with just seven games remaining. Good guest coming up today. You're going to want to hear him. He is Patrick Maher. He is a host on VEASAN and DraftKings. He is from Michigan. He is a big Detroit Lions fan. He follows that team closely. So we are going to talk to him, obviously, about the Lions coming up here, Bears' next opponent, and because I am a big Ben Johnson fan. And if the Bears do indeed part with Matt Eberflus and fingers crossed, they will at the end of the season, Ben Johnson may just be at the absolute top of my list for the candidate I would like as the next coach of the Chicago Bears. I know Patrick is a fan of his. I want to get into it with him, kind of find out what makes Ben Johnson tick. We'll talk Bears with him. We'll talk NFC North. We'll just kind of have a good conversation Patrick and I always do. He usually comes on before the Bears game and Bears Lions game. In fact, we usually have him on because it seems like the Bears play the Lions so often on Thanksgiving. He seems to usually be on the week of Thanksgiving, but obviously here one week prior. So we're going to get into that with Patrick here in just a little bit. But before we do, got a few things that we should discuss. And, And this is really entering an interesting part of the season. And for me, I mean, let's start right here with the quarterback play. I really expect Justin Fields to be back. I think there were people in Hallis Hall that expected Justin to be back. I'm not saying it was Eberflus and Poles, but people around Hallis Hall, I think expected Justin to be back for the Saints game. Now, once he wasn't back for the Saints game, that short week with Carolina, I mean, that was almost doomed from the start. You know, if you're not going to play for the Saints, you know, against the Saints, how quickly can you get turned around with a couple walkthroughs and one full contact practice to be ready for Thursday night? So, so it's unfortunate that he missed a couple extra games. I expect him fully to be back for Detroit. Tyson Bagent, look, there's really not much to say about Tyson Bagent except the fact that he has proven to be a developmental QB too, which is what we hoped he would be. He has proven the point. We wrecked this story as as Bears fan and Bears media because we just had to turn it into something he's not. Hyped him up, set him up to fail on national television with the with the Chargers game. Chris Collinsworth talking about God knows what while while the team's getting their butts kicked and Bajan's throwing interceptions. That's what we do as as Chicago fans, and we fed it and the media, and we fed it right into the national media. Whether that was Getzy, whatever that was, I, I, it doesn't matter. There's no point to talk about it. But Bajan did not look good. 
missed some throws, didn't challenge the defense when he had opportunities. That was actually the first time I watched the Prime Vision because I kind of sat there and I was like, I don't know, you know, if I want to do this. And I, anytime on Thursday when I watch the Thursday night games, and even with the Bears game in Washington, I watched the traditional broadcast, decided to give Prime Vision a chance, and I did like it. I did like a lot of what they did. They're, they're little you know, statistician, you know, advanced analytic guy. He's, I am not a fan of him. I can't even remember his name. I know that's disrespectful, but not, not, not a fan of what he, he, he was just not a very good broadcaster in my mind, but I, I like the angles, you know, the, the camera angles pulling back more of an all 22 look, you know, the routes run the, the offense, you know, who's out there in terms of the personnel. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think it gives you a different look at the game. You can see more of it. You know, to me, a lot of times, especially when you're running the football, the traditional broadcast, you know, if you're not getting the, you know, the vertical where you're behind the line of scrimmage, and if you're going to watch offensive line play, I think the broadcast is a lot of times better than the all 22. In my mind, you're up more up close and personal. And I like watching offensive line play, as I have mentioned on this podcast many times, but not much of an opportunity there. To, to really watch the offensive line play. But, you know, I wanted to see, you know, what Bajan was and wasn't seeing, and, and he didn't play great. And that's fine. And, and hopefully that's the last we see at Tyson Bajan the rest of the year, not, not any insult to him, just because I want to see Justin Fields healthy the rest of the way and see how he can play. Now, here's what's crazy, and I talked about this a little bit with Jeff Burkus on the postgame show. Bryce Young, Tyson Bajan. If you just watched that game, and you had no idea. You had you never heard of Bryce Young, never heard of Tyson Bajan, but you watched football. And someone said one of these guys was the first overall pick. And one of these guys is a UDFA rookie. They're both rookies. One went first overall. One was not drafted at all over the 250 picks or, or whatever it was in the draft. You couldn't figure it out. They are in an identical place right now. 10 games into their career, I guess it's nine for, for, for Young, and Young missed the one game. He's played eight, Bajan's played four and a half, whatever it is. They are at an identical place in their development in terms of what they do, in terms of mobility, in terms of short, quick, in terms of being able to throw it down the field. Now, Young obviously has a higher ceiling. I am not saying they are going to continue there. But the fact that they're there right now, if you're a Carolina Panthers fan, or if you're Fitterer, or Reich, or David Tepper, if you're anyone in the Carolina organization and you watch that game against an undrafted free agent rookie, you are petrified that Bryce Young isn't it. Because you just watched him identically play. That a, And the UDFA rookie played poorly. It was one of his worst games, if not his worst game, since he's been out there. And Bryce Young and him were the same. So not only did the Carolina Panthers sell the farm for Bryce Young, he may not be the guy. And that is going to wreck that organization. Ryan Poles decimated the Carolina Panthers. Now, you know me. I have had issues with some of the things Ryan Poles did. I liked that trade from the jump. I had one criticism of it, that they didn't get the, whatever it was, the 39th pick. They had to settle for the 62nd pick, whatever it was. So that was my only criticism but bottom line, Poles got a very, very good return on that pick and has set up the Bears for a lot of success if they use those picks properly. And of course, 
DJ Moore. So, you know, I was sitting there. I actually, this is kind of odd, but I was watching The Matrix uh, a few days ago. And I hadn't watched it in a long time. And you remember the scene where, where Neo, where Keanu Reeves goes and sees the Oracle. And, you know, she's this, you know, she can see the future and all within The Matrix. And she says, you know, don't worry about the, the vase. And Neo says, what vase? And he turns around and he knocks the vase over and breaks it. And he's like, oh, God, sorry. And she says, I told you not to worry about it. But what will really bend your noodle later is, would you have broken it if I never said anything? And I was thinking about that little scene with the Carolina Panthers, because obviously the Bears have this pick with the Carolina Panthers that is looking like it could be number one, maybe number two, worst case, number three. Number three would stink. But they are, you got the Giants, you got the Panthers, you got the Patriots, and and you got the Cardinals. You got those four teams. We're going to get into it. And it's just, that's it. There's no one else I really don't think can jump into that. We're going to talk about that more here in a little bit. But, but I bring up that scene in The Matrix because the number one pick that the Bears have, would Carolina be in position to be the worst team in the league if it wasn't for that trade? If they had D.J. Moore on this roster and, and Andy Dalton was the quarterback, they just didn't get a quarterback at nine, right, because the other ones went, they didn't like Levis, so they said, we're just going to punt, we're going to go with Dalton, and that's it. I think Dalton and DJ Moore, I'm not saying they'd be great. They still have plenty of problems on this team, but they'd have two, three wins, and they'd be pushing to have the fifth, sixth, seventh pick in the draft probably. Because of that trade, that trade has made them the worst team in the league because you've taken arguably their best player, Tim or Brian Burns, Moore or Burns, off the team, definitely their best offensive player off the team, and inserted a quarterback who is not very good. Will he stay this poorly? No, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's a bust. Maybe he's going to put it together. No, no judgment on Bryce Young at this point. It's only half of a rookie season. But right now, Bryce Young is struggling. He's not showing really any signs to improve. And this pick, as every week passes, gets juicier and juicier and juicier. And I've had a lot of fun cheering against the Panthers, all, all in good nature. You know, I don't wish ill will on the organization, but, you know, I've been tweeting out uh, baby Groot dance and every time the Panthers lose. In fact, I realized I forgot to do it for the game the Bears actually played them instead of the other games. But that's that's fine. That's neither here nor there. But but the bottom line is is the Carolina Panthers. This trade that Poles made to have these draft picks has is getting more and more valuable. And I brought up those four teams, right? The Cardinals, the Giants, the Patriots, and the Panthers. So put the Panthers aside. We already talked about how bad they are. But the good thing about the Panthers is right now, and strength of schedule can change, but right now, strength of schedule, and that is the tiebreaker, strength of schedule. Whoever has the easiest schedule, if you're tied, you have the better draft pick. The Panthers have the easiest schedule out of that group. Giants are a little close, but they right now, strength of schedule, they're the, they have the softest schedule, which means tie goes to Carolina, and of course, that means tie goes to Chicago. That means... The Panthers being all alone with one win and every other team having two puts them in a position that they're up one and a half games right now on the rest of the league in terms of having that number one pick. Ties going to Carolina. So it's a, it's not just one game. It's one game plus that the Panthers are up. So let's look at these three teams. The Cardinals loved what I saw with Kyler Murray. Kyler looked pretty good in his return. 
That's a team that I think is going to win a couple more games here down the stretch. I have a hard time believing they won't with Kyler Murray. That team looks significantly better. No offense to Josh Dobbs, who did a, as good of a job as he could do, and now he's got Minnesota humming, potentially. But the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals win some games. I'll be honest, I'm greedy enough to look at that right now and go, the Cardinals might even jump the Bears by the end of the season. That, that Christmas Eve game could be very interesting in terms of draft positioning. So the Cardinals, while right now in the thick of things, I think they are going to get themselves out of that top, top pick. So that leaves three teams, if I'm correct on the Cardinals. Patriots, Giants, and Panthers. We know what the Panthers are. We just talked about them. The Giants are horrible. Now, the Giants have a lot of winnable games left on their schedule. That's the one thing I would say for the New York Giants. They are a bad football team, and they are largely a bad football team because of the mess they have at quarterback. Not only do they lose Daniel Jones, who, of course, isn't great to begin with, but they also lost QB2 Tyrod Taylor. I'm a big Tyrod Taylor fan. He could be my backup quarterback any day of the week. But the Giants, like this week, it's on the road. They have the Commanders. That is not an impossible game. Then they play the Patriots at home. Someone's got to win. It is fantastic that the Patriots and Giants play each other. That's great. Packers at home, winnable game. Saints on the road. Yeah, they're probably not going to win it. Not impossible. Then, unfortunately, they have a couple games with the Eagles at the end of the year, but they also have a game against the Rams at home. So these are games they could win. They are not going to win with Tommy DeVito, but they picked up Matt Barkley, and I would expect Barkley to be out there ASAP. And we saw Matt Barkley in a Bears uniform. He's not good, but Matt Barkley is good enough that if the team plays decently and the defense is okay, that they can squeak out an ugly 16-13 to win. So I really hope that the, the Giants can get a couple more wins, but one more win from the Giants would be clutch. And, and then the other team, of course, you got is the Patriots, which, God, it is, I understand they, they, you know what they have, what they're up against, but seeing Bill Belichick struggling like this, I, he has definitely lost his fastball. This is a mess in New England. I, I, I'll be honest, I kind of was counting on them beating the Colts uh, there last week. They just do not look good. I mean, this is a team that beat Buffalo. And I understand Buffalo is not playing the way they are supposed to be. But how did that happen? So we need the Patriots, another one. Because I, I really think when you look at it, the Carolina Panthers, If again, if they hold on to the tiebreaker, can you see the Carolina Panthers winning three more games down the stretch? I can't. I can't see the Panthers winning three games. Two? Sure. Two games is possible. Three seems like a tall order for a team that's only won one this far into the season. So if you say they can only win two more, that's three wins on the season, which means as long as the Giants and Patriots don't lose out, the Panthers would be in great shape there to get the number one pick. All they'd have to do is hold on to that strength of schedule tiebreaker and the Bears would have the number one pick. So it's really starting to come into focus. Like I said, I always look at this as number one pick survivor. Those are the four contenders. There are still three other teams in the mix. And, you know, the you know Tennessee Titans are in there. Nice win by the Denver Broncos to pick up their fourth win. So they're out of the mix. But until you get that fourth win, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you only have three wins, and that goes for the Titans, and that goes for the Packers, and that goes for the Rams you're still in the mix for the number one pick. Now, I expect the Packers to win another game or two. I expect the Rams 
They've been feisty. I think they'll win a couple more games. I, you know, the Titans, I think they should win a couple more games. So I don't think they're going to really be in the mix. But until they get that fourth win, you can't eliminate them from first pick survivors. So that's, to me, kind of what we're looking at here with this number one pick. I know I've spent a lot of time on it. But to me, if I'm going to sit here and try and talk about the Carolina Panthers and Chicago Bears game from Thursday night, for the most part, you're going to turn off this podcast. And you should, even if you're a Bears fan. There is nothing to be had from that game. It was boring. It was dull. We saw very little of interest from either side of the football team. Amazon wasn't interested in broadcasting this game. I mean, Al Michaels put Jason Kelsey on for basically the entire first half. He was on the whole second quarter. I mean, they had, and and it wasn't like he was an analyst. They're just interviewing him about the Eagles. So they had no interest in talking about this football game. And, and, you know, if you want to hear Panthers, Bears talk, go back, you know, a couple episodes Check out me and Jeff Burkus on the post-game show Thursday night. We'll break down punt coverage. We broke down Trenton Gill. We broke down the defense and Sanborn versus Edmonds. We talked Tyson Bajan. We got into everything. So if you want to talk about that, you can go check out the post-game show. But me trying to rehash anything with that game, to me, that is just not interesting. And the only other thing I want to talk about here before we get to Patrick Maher is the, the future of Matt Eberflus. And we've talked about it, and I've talked about it while I want to assume that this is going to go the right direction for the Bears. And when I say the right direction, that means the wrong direction for Matt Eberflus. I still have concerns. And yes, the Adam Johns article concerned me. And his podcast partner, Adam Hogue, is also on the, I don't know if Matt Eberflus is going thing. Now, here's the one thing I will keep saying about Hallisall. When you hear Ryan Poles, you know, waxing poetic about Matt Eberflus, and again, I think Johns, while he's not reporting anything, he gets the vibe. He's at Hallis Hall regularly. He knows people at Hallis Hall. I have a feeling he gets, hey, you know, they're not down on Matt Eberflus. And they certainly, if you want to throw out 2022, because that was a basically lose on purpose kind of season, you can't hold that against him. Okay, fine. But here's where my concern is. All right. And I'm going to bring up another podcast. I was actually listening to CHGO and I was listening to, I believe it was their Monday edition and they were talking about best case and worst case scenarios. And Adam Hogue was talking about Matt Eberflus. And if Matt Eberflus went, you know, four and three the rest of the way, which meant five and three over the last eight games, right? He was saying, if he happens, that's going to be something he can hold his hat on and retain his job. Then he kind of actually went through the, the games and he said, basically, you got to win one of these divisional games with Detroit and Minnesota. And, and then the games at the end of the year, Green Bay, Arizona, and Atlanta. And he goes four and three, you go five and three, you know, you win four more games, you win, you go seven and 10, that should save the job. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and I understand seven wins for Matt Eberflus certainly feels like that should save his job, even though I wouldn't want it to. But if you're Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren and you went from three wins to seven wins, that is improvement. But improvement in the way you want to see it, I'm not so certain. Let's break down how like Adam Hoke, and I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying let's break down how this would go through the timeline. Let's say they win against you know, Detroit or Minnesota, you know, what, what, like he said. 
They're going to lose this week to Detroit. That's a road game. They're like a 10-point favorite road game. They lose. They're 3-8. and eight. Then they've got at Minnesota, Detroit at home. Those are the next two games. We're going to say they split those two games 4-9. and nine. Then they play Cleveland. We're saying they're going to lose that game. Now the Chicago Bears are at 4-10. and 10. Meaningful football. They went 4-10. and 10. And then you're going to tell me that Matt Eberflus goes and beats a beaten down Arizona team to go to 5-10. and 10. An Atlanta team at home on New Year's Eve that if they, if they beat Atlanta, that probably means Atlanta isn't playing for anything at that point to go to 6-10. and 10. And then a Packers team that while they look very good against Chicago in week one, they've looked dreadful most weeks since then. They win that game in Lambeau to go to 7-10. and 10. That's the improvement. Three awful football teams that have nothing to play for at that point in the season. The Bears win those games. Go, oh, look, he finished on a hot streak. We've turned the corner. Let's head to 2024. That would piss me off. If they go on a three-game winning streak to finish the season, to one, if, again, if they're at four and ten, nuke their draft position, still dump Justin Fields, because I think they would, assuming Carolina still has one of the top two picks, and retain Matt Eberflus, and whether it's Luke Getze or Matt Eberflus's next offensive coordinator is gonna talk, is, is gonna, you know, develop Caleb Williams or Drake May, that's what we're gonna do. If that happens, you're going to hear me go nuclear in January. I don't know how often you've listened to this podcast, but if you've heard me shred McCaskey and Ted Phillips or the Pace and Trubisky stuff, some of the stuff that has happened right out of the press conferences in January and February, I will go nuclear if a three-game winning streak against crappy football teams when there is nothing left to play for except bad teams playing bad teams and see who has slightly more motivation to win a football game. If that saves Matt Eberflus's job, then I have no confidence in Ryan Poles and I have no confidence in Kevin Warren because those wins are borderline meaningless except for draft position, which you screwed up. And now instead of finishing five and 12, where you'd have like the fifth pick, you finish seven and 10 and you have like the 14th pick. It would literally be that much of a swing. So I think... Like the way Adam Hogue played that out with those games and they'd finish six and two, or I'm sorry, five and three down the stretch. No. If you're going to keep Matt Eberflus, he better, these next four games, at least a split, if not three and one. That's a tall order because those are, you know, that Cleveland defense is good. Detroit is humming and Minnesota looks pretty good. They'll have Justin Jefferson back. Show me something. Beat good football teams because if you win seven games and you're going, look at us. We're seven and 10. We're ready to take the leap or bring in a new quarterback and keep Matt Eberflus. And you beat a Packers team that's going, that's going to win five games, a Falcons team that's probably six, seven wins, a, you know, you know, a one decent win against Minnesota or whatever. Then you go and you beat Arizona, who's going to finish with four or five wins. You beat the Raiders, who were a complete train wreck. You beat Washington, that was going to win like five, six games this year. And you beat, you know, Carolina, who's the worst team in the league. Those are your seven wins. That's what you're going to hold your hat on. 
They have those seven wins. And if you don't beat Minnesota and you finish 6-11 and 11 with those three wins at the end of the season, you better not even contemplate keeping Matt Eberflus. Six wins against all teams with a losing record, and all of them are terrible. Not like an 8-9 and team that lost a couple games at the end of the year to good football teams. No, you lost to really bad football teams. So Matt Eberflus, if he's going to keep his job, he better show me something over the next four games. Because if he wins crap games at the end of, you know, post-Christmas, and that's what he's going to hold his hat on, and that's what Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren are going to sit up there in mid-January and talk to the fans about how they believe in Matt Eberflus because he finished the season on a hot streak, I'm going to vomit. Because that is unacceptable. So that's about all I had to say. I've been going on. Let's talk about a potential replacement for Matt Eberflus. Ben Johnson, an offensive coordinator that a lot of people around the NFL, he's turning heads and going, this guy might just be the number one coaching candidate, and he might just want to come to Chicago if the chips fall where they need to. We're going to talk to Patrick Maher from VEASAN and DraftKings. He's going to join me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Excited to have this guy on. I have him on just about every year before the Bears face the Detroit Lions because he's from Michigan originally. He is a huge Detroit Lions fan. He is Patrick Maher from from Beeson slash DraftKings, hosts daily there. You can catch him there. And, of course, on Twitter slash X at The Rap Radio. He joins me now. Patrick, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? My, how the tables have turned I'm just taking a look at the standings right now, and it appears in the north, my Detroit Lions are sitting seven and two, and I've got a team from the Windy City sitting three and seven. We've done this now, Bill, and thanks for having me. We've done this for many years, and it kind of got rote how I would just do the same shtick, one win, one postseason win since 1957. Now, nothing's changed there as far as the Lions, but a little bit of a difference, a bit of a sea change as far as the – uh, organizations right now as we join in 2023 yeah no detroit detroit's finally on the right path or they're, they're gonna i'd be shocked if they didn't win the division to me that's the most disappointing thing about this season is not that the detroit lions are gonna gonna win the division that they're playing well because i'd you know not that i like detroit but i'd much rather have them up there than the green bay packers so that that's an absolute victory for me as far as i'm concerned but one of my favorite statistics you know one of my favorite things is that the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had won the division in the NFC Central slash North more recently than the Detroit Lions. And that's going to end this year. And that's such a good factoid that we're just going to lose. That That's the biggest disappointment to me. Is it going to end this year, though? Because uh, just take a look quickly. Remember, the Lions, I'm taking a look at the odds at DraftKings right now. They're minus 1,100 in division in the North. The Vikings are 7-1. to one, The Packers, 30 and your Bears sitting 101. So I'm assuming the Bears won't win the division. I'm assuming your boy Jordan Love and the Packers not going to win. However, 
The Lions have two against Minnesota, and they close out with Minnesota. Minnesota on a heater right now. I do think that seven, like right now, and Dobbs looks legit. I do think just because there were some leaks in that Lions game against the Chargers, may I read to you the final one, two, three, four, five drives for the Los Angeles Chargers. 10 plays, 75 yards, a touchdown. 10-75 touchdown. 10-92 touchdown. 10-75 touchdown. 7-68 and a touchdown. Can we take this Lions team seriously? And we'll get to the offensive coordinator, who is freaking ridiculous. You and I have texted about Ben Johnson. I'm 45. We're the same age. He is the best as far as just the dance throughout a game, as far as play calling. He's the best I've ever seen. However... This is a team, and I like Dan Campbell. Let me just be very clear. I think he's fine. I think he's starting to learn a few things identity-wise going forward on fourth down, where it was a little whimsical the first year, starting now to have an identity. And you saw him convert on four or five against Los Angeles. But if I'm to take a team with no pass rush and no secondary serious, and again, Herbert didn't have anything outside of Allen, and he was toying with that defense. Are you ready to say legitimately a team that hasn't won their division since 1991 and since 1957 has one post? I know you're laughing, but it's just facts in a league where there's 32 in a league where every single year you've got eight new playoff participants. The Lions have one postseason win since 57 with this defense. Are you ready to take them seriously? I mean, Serious, if you if seriously means Philadelphia, Kansas City, you know, that level, no, I'm, I'm not ready to take them seriously there. I, I don't think this team can get to the Super Bowl. I do think this team could maybe upset San Francisco or or something like that, get themselves maybe to the NFC Championship game. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I still even know, I see what Ben Johnson is doing with Jared Goff. I, I see it. I'm impressed. I just can't fully support a fourth quarter game tied Jared Goff in the playoffs and trust him. Have you changed on Goff? Do you think maybe he's that guy? No, no, no. Goff is mid as the kids say. He's beyond basic. However, he is doing it and he has a play. I mean, the weapons are insane. It's so funny on the broadcast. They inducted Jameer Gibbs and congratulations into Canton during the broadcast when a running back that you literally just handed to us is the better running back. He had an explosive 77-yard David Montgomery, 77-yard run for a touchdown. They are – Ross St. Brown, everybody knows it's not a secret. I like Laporta. The offensive front is a top three unit. They are loaded. And maybe we should segue in the, to your man crush. And let's be fair about Ben Johnson. We have to reframe how we think about potential head coaches. Because the dude calls a brilliant offense, we have literally no clue if he can do a completely different job, which is CEO. Like, we know he's 37, 38 years old. We know he went to North Carolina. We know he's a mathematics major. We know that about him, and we know he calls a brilliant offense. But the Chargers are going to be calling. The Bears are going to be calling for Ben Johnson. Teams are going to fire their head coach to try to get Ben Johnson. And we have no clue if the dude can lead a team. But you are convinced that Ben Johnson should be the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. Would you like to explain yourself? Well, some of this depends on what happens over the next two months. But because of that trade with the Carolina Panthers, they are 
getting really close to almost being guaranteed a top two pick. You have a top two pick. You're going to have Caleb Williams or Drake May, right? You, I assume you would agree with that. I, 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 I love Marvin Harrison, but the top two picks are going to be quarterbacks. If the Bears are there with Justin Fields still being inconsistent, they're going to have to move on. So they're going to be bringing in a, a quarterback. The head coach that you need to bring in, you have to bring in an offensive guy that you feel can get the most out of your quarterback. Ben Johnson has already proven he can get the most possible out of Jared Goff. They, they need to develop the, the, the number one job. I understand CEO and, and you have to coach the whole team. I get that. But this next coach, their number one job is going to make sure that the Chicago Bears actually have a quarterback, like a real legitimate top 10 to 12 quarterback in the NFL, something they haven't been able to say since Sid Luckman. Like literally, <laughs> like maybe Jim McMahon was a top 10 guy when he was healthy for a couple of years there in the yeah. mid 80s. Maybe that's that's about, you know, Jay, to me, Jay Cutler was always the quarterback was he, he was the exact pivot point in the NFL. If your quarterback was better than Jay Cutler, you were in good shape. If your quarterback was worse than Jay Cutler, you needed a new quarterback. That line of demarcation was yeah, Cutler. He, he yeah. was that was that was it there. So the the Bears have never had that guy. That's what they need to do here. They've got to pick the right guy, especially if they have number one. You know, they have to pick the right guy, and they have to develop him. So to me, and then you start telling me because obviously I haven't watched Detroit Lions football week in and week out. You know, full sixty minutes. I like what I had seen from Ben Johnson in the time that I'd seen him, and you're talking about how well he calls a game. That's another thing the Bears have not had. We thought we were going to have it with Matt Nagy, the Andy Reid, all this. Then we find out that he cannot call a game. It just he struggled with it. He had to give up play calling twice because he wasn't able to get it done. Luke Getze's certainly been questionable with some of the things he does. He's certainly a square peg in the round hole of what he's trying to do with Justin Fields. So to me, having that brilliant offensive mind is what the Bears need in 2024. Okay, this is a Bears podcast, so I think we should have a little conversation. And I, if you talk about what happened in 2018 with Matt Nagy, what's fascinating is how precipitously everything has dropped off since. I took a look earlier. They were ninth in points. They were first in defense. They fell apart year to year. They got worse every single year with Matt Nagy, which is really just indicative of a dude that doesn't have control of the organization. It was time to move on. No problem. I think he went eight and eight, eight and eight, and then failed his final year. But I'm going to go to Bill Zimmerman on Twitter because this was a tweet just a few days ago. And first off, you know you're mired in just a disastrous situation where your last podcast, and your guests have been great, but you've discussed punt coverage. You've discussed third down scoring for a team that is sitting three and seven. And then finally it peaks with this quote. If Matt Eberflus is retained as the bears head coach, I'm totally out as a bear. <laughs> so it's just, so it's doubtful that I would remain a fan of them, but let's give them a little more time and see where I'm at, but I'm definitely out. I've never, you've been in a bad way. So All right. For 50. I've never seen you in such a bad way right now. Okay, there, there was a, a bit of truth that I'm not leaving my Bears fandom. That was more poking fun at Matt Eberflus because that's literally what he said about Justin Fields last week going into the Carolina game. Okay. He, says, he said, yeah, Justin Fields was no, out. We're going to list fast. him as doubtful, but we're going to give it another day and see how he's doing, but he's definitely out. Like, it was just, it was just, Matt Eberflus, I don't know if you've heard any of Matt Eberflus's conferences. They're awful. 
he is not a good communicator. He botched things with Chase Claypool. He had to fix that. He, he screwed up the Justin Fields injury. Like he is just, he, it, it, it's a headache every time he's at the podium. So that, that was more to poke fun at Matt Eberflus. I'm very down on Matt Eberflus. There was a tweet I sent at, I think it was halftime of the Kansas City game. That's where I went nuclear and just I wanted to fire everybody and 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 basically at the end and it, it pissed off Bears fans and I was just like get the number one pick but you better be worried because Caleb Williams isn't going to want to play here like I was just like I just went nuclear because th- that's how frustrating it is because this season they were supposed to what I keep saying is they were supposed to be fun bad like they they weren't going to compete for the division unless Justin Fields went MVP like you know super you know superstar. If Justin Fields had, you know, improved to the point where he was going to be their quarterback moving forward, but, you know, wasn't, you know, MVP level, they were supposed to just improve, right? Fields was going to be fun. He's going to have DJ Moore and and Mooney and Claypool and Komet and the offensive line we were going to see get better. And Eberflus was a defensive guy and they they invested in the defense. I mean, yeah. Edmonds and Edwards and, and Walker and, and Gakwe and free agency. And they've spent now, I think it's six, what I consider six second round picks on the defense in the last two years. They, they did Gordon and Brisker in Poles' first year. Then they did Stevenson and Dexter. And Zach Pickens was the 64th pick because of that Dolphins losing their pick. So Pickens was the first pick of the third round, but he was, in essence, the last pick of the second round in in most years. And then they just traded a second rounder for Montez Sweat. So they've given up six second round picks for that defense, plus the guys they signed. So you you really, you thought everything was going to start coming together. This team was going to win seven, eight games, and it was going to be everybody's pick to be that fun playoff team in 2024. And they came out of the gate so terribly, so disorganized. It was just, Matt Eberflus did such a bad job in September that he buried the whole season. And and when they were just getting flattened by Kansas City and all anybody cared about was that Taylor Swift was in the stands that day, it was, it was just enough. I had just, that they, you know, basically that Travis Kelsey picked the Bears as like homecoming. Like, hey, Taylor, come see me play this crappy team so you so I can look good right like that's where it just bottomed out for me the bears and I, and I lost it so yeah it's, I say, I'm I definitely say, down on him this year I, I will say with Eberflus and Kaylee Hartong does an amazing job but you know what I'm about to discuss so she's very straightforward he couldn't hear her question coming out of the half in that Carolina game on Thursday night. And when he went with, we got some stuff up our sleeve, I was all in. I was all because you know what? He's not a natural speech, not an order. We get it. We do this for a living and I stink at speaking, but he just got caught. He couldn't hear the question and he goes, we got some things up our sleeve. And that was to me, it was hilarious because he just got caught. Look, you're going to move on from Eberflus. I think the big question as we come around back to the Bears and long-term planning, it sounds like you're completely out on fields. Is that where we're at? Well, I'm not completely out on fields, but I don't see a path for Justin Fields to stay here. Like if Justin Fields, whatever team he goes to, assuming it's not like the Minnesota Vikings next year, like to, to quarterback, I want him to do well. Like I really want him to succeed in the NFL. And I think there's a chance he could. You know, Getzey wants to play this fast, you know, quick game, get the ball out, screens, keep the ball short. That's not – Justin Fields, is, is he's going to hold on to the ball too long. He needs a good offensive line in front of him so he can try and make big plays down the field. That That's who he is as a quarterback. Um, but 
with me, here, here's basically how I see it. Either Matt Eberflus wins enough games and the Carolina Panthers give them like the third pick where they don't have one of those top two. That's really the, and Eberflus keeps his job. That's really the only path I see to field staying as the quarterback for 2024. Because basically if they fire Matt Eberflus and whether it's Ben Johnson or whatever next, the next coach comes in and they're trying to decide what they want to do at quarterback. If you're a head coach in the NFL, well, and I said like Justin Fields got dealt a bad hand. Like he's just, it's never worked for him in Chicago. Some of it is his fault. I'm not absolving him of blame, but a lot of it isn't his fault as well. Right. If you're a head coach and you're looking at your quarterback and in his three seasons in the NFL, two coaches were fired. And in the one season that the coach wasn't fired, they literally had the worst record in the NFL. Are you hitching your wagon to that quarterback? No, no. And that's it. That's the, that's the way I look at it. If Eberflus wins a lot of games and Fields plays well down the stretch, yes, he could potentially keep his job, but nobody wants Matt Eberflus to win a bunch of games and keep his job. So if Matt Eberflus loses his job, I don't see any way that a new coach comes in here and says, Justin Fields is my guy. It's when I looked up and I saw you were discussing punk coverage. I said, you got to take a step back. Like, I know you got to do the pod, but you got to, and it's, it's not good. I do think there is a question that still hangs over the bears organization. And it's not necessarily, it looks like he's a sophomore in college. I'm not sure after that sweat move, I'm not sure you have the general manager. You need to be making the calls because that is, that was a, now it appears behind it that they had, and understanding that he was going to sign long-term, even if they overpaid. But just on the surface, the move they made, I mean, a second-rounder is a first-rounder. You got four years of control. Like, giving up a second-rounder for sweat was wild. That, that was that was a steep price, and we know that's going to be, what, the 36, 37 be a great pick. pick. That's going to be rounder. a great pick. And, you know, look, there's other defensive ends than Montez Sweat. If Montez Sweat wasn't in Chicago, he was going to be in Atlanta with a contract extension. I'm, I'm confident about that. So I, he wasn't going to just reach free agency, but there were certainly other ways to address edge. Ryan Poles gets to you know hang his hat on this Carolina Panthers trade. That, that is going to end up being highway robbery. DJ Moore is fantastic. They may end up with a better quarterback prospect than what Bryce Young is. Not knocking what Bryce Young is this year, which is troublesome because literally him and Tyson Bajit played neck and neck. Oh, yeah. Like you, you can't be the number one overall pick and be eyeball test is with not, a eyeball test is not kind of Bryce. Eyeball, eyeball test is terrible. So they're not going to have, they, they didn't get the quarterback. You know, they have, now they have no draft capital. Like, you know, Tyreek Stevenson, who looks like he's probably going to be a pretty good corner was one of those picks. They're going to have, you know, either Caleb Williams or Drake may potentially with this other pick plus another second rounder and DJ Moore. it's highway robbery for what they got for that pick. So that's where Ryan Poles is really holding his hat. There's plenty of other questionable moves. He gave up the 32nd pick for Chase Claypool, who they literally went 0-12 with Chase Claypool on the team. They never won a game with Chase Claypool. And then literally they got rid of him and they they won a couple games. He was awful in that locker room. There's there's other, mis- you know, and this, you know, some of these are positive, but like he guaranteed PJ Walker $2 million and cut him. He guaranteed Alex Weatherwood $10 million, kept him here for a season and cut him. Like he's willing to make mistakes, but there's still mistakes. So there's there's issues that that Poles has had, absolutely. He's got pluses and minuses. That's where, as Bears fans, we all keep looking at Kevin Warren and go, is this the guy who's going to start making decisions 
and, you know, stabilize this organization moving forward? Or is he literally just here to build a stadium? You know, I think he would, he wouldn't have taken this just to build a stadium. He really wanted to be, you know, the, the decision maker on a, a big time NFL franchise, but that's the thing. We, we just don't know what Kevin Warren's opinion is on Ryan Poles, on Matt Eberflus, on any of this. So that I think for Bears fans, we're all kind of waiting until January, assuming Kevin Warren's going to hit the podium with George McCaskey and talk to the fans and really get his opinion on what is happening with this team. It can flip quickly. A culture adjustment. We've seen it year to year. We talked about the 50% turnover as far as the post. That's what makes the NFL, whether you want to call it parity or you want to call it competition, it can flip quickly. You're fine. You're in a good spot. You have assets. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and for the first time ever, like I look at this and say, all right, if they're going to drop Caleb Williams or Drake May into this situation in 2024, the offensive line, they don't have a center. That's something they can easily remedy. They can go out and get a veteran center. The rest of that offensive line looks pretty darn good. It's really starting to come together. Tevin Jenkins is a mauler when he's healthy. Darnell Wright's great. Braxton Jones looks like a really good pick. And, and Nate Davis is a solid player. Like they, they have an offensive line that it will be able to protect the quarterback. DJ Moore is an asset. Colt Komet is a great safety valve to have. They could probably get one of these big receivers, even if it's not Harrison. There's a lot. This is a really good receiving class, as you know. And they got some decent running backs behind them. Like this is a this isn't dropping Mitch Trubisky in 2017 or Justin Fields in 2021. This would be putting a quarterback in a into a, especially if they have the right coach there to mold him. This is actually putting a quarterback in a position to succeed, a rookie quarterback in 2024. What I love about what I love about, and I like what you said about Ben Johnson, and what I love about the potential as far as grooming an offense, grooming a quarterback for Ben Johnson, and again, he's the offensive coordinator with the Lions, is did you hear the quotes coming from the Chargers defenders after? Did not. Okay. So essentially, they said, we prepared all week for one thing, and they did the opposite. Now, Brandon Staley, who's going to be fired, we understand, but Brandon Staley – he is a defensive dude first, and he had a he had a defense. Ben Johnson was playing chess, and Staley's got his black and red pieces, and he's jumping, playing checkers. They literally said we had prepared all week for one thing, and the Detroit offense did the opposite. So you like that little zag from Ben Johnson? I just – look, I have no clue. He hardly speaks. The dudes that I know that cover the Lions – said he's super smart, super personable, and is going to make a good head coach. He's going to have more options than the Bears. Yeah, and that's the thing is, will the Bears actually be the situation, if Ben Johnson has his choice of two, three, four jobs, are the Bears the situation where he goes, I get to pick which quarterback I want, I have pieces in an offense, and this is actually a – you know, like you go to the Chargers, like it's it's ready made with Justin Herbert, but there's 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 issues with that team. And I'm not saying the Bears don't have issues, but it, the Bears are a a potential situation for a coach like Ben Johnson to say, "This is where I want to go because I can do what I want to do with this personnel." So as we head to Thanksgiving 2023, last year, I mean, what a three and fourteen, like yep. essentially, poll said this is a throwaway. We're trying to get right with the books and then coming into this offseason where they spent vociferously on defense and 
the Claypool thing in real time was weird. Everybody knew there were issues, and I'm not going to go too deep into that. The Montez sweat trade, giving up second rounders is just not something you want to do, but okay, that's fine. He's a good player. But last year, aberration, you can accept the 3-14, and although they started well. This year, you're looking for improvement. Doesn't feel like it, although the quarterback's been hurt, and you're going to make a change, and that's where you're at. And and I think that that's where Bears fans are, is there's this, you know – when Ryan Poles addressed the media after Montez Sweat, he didn't say, like, Matt Eberflus is our guy. He went out of his way to talk about how great Matt Eberflus is. That got everybody nervous. And then Adam Johns, who covers the Bears for The Athletic, does a good job, definitely knows people around House Hall, did a, an article where he did 10 bold predictions. And number two was Matt Eberflus keeps his job for 2024. That, that made the Bears fan base crumble to the ground. The idea that he could return – is is just that that's where everything is that happened. and and i certainly have a hard time believing if this team wins four or five games that they could possibly even just any way possible look at that and go we should keep this guy what i'm worried about is the end of the year they play the cardinals at home the falcons at home and then at green bay and I just I keep staring at the end of that going, there's a three game winning streak that is somehow going to wreck Chicago because, you know, Atlanta, if they fall out of it, you know, Arizona, who knows? Green Bay is they're terrible. Like anything's possible. They could obviously the Bears are bad. They could lose any of those three games, but they got Detroit twice. They got Minnesota who's come together. That Cleveland defense is stifling. That's the next four games. And then, and then these three games to finish. Okay, let me let me bring up something. Let me bring up identity because we can almost there's a parallel with Dan Campbell and Matt Eberflus. So this is year three. Okay, year one was a disaster. The first half of year two for Dan Campbell was a disaster. Then all of a sudden, but was it? I mean, they were losing close games. That was they were competitive. They they went to Carolina and got punched in the mouth. I won't get into it. But then all <laughs> it wasn't just advanced analytics. It wasn't just covering the spread. It wasn't just numbers. You could start to feel something starting to change. And it wasn't necessarily just the relationship with the players. Cause that's been overplayed with Dan Campbell. It got, he just started to get comfortable. He just started all of a sudden you could, you could tell that he just started to be comfortable in his own skin. And that kind of parlayed itself to the on-field product. And they just went on a freaking heater. Then this off season, Dan Campbell was a different human being. Dan Campbell, like I said, year one and the first half of year two, his fourth down decisions were YOLO. There was no rhyme or reason. He would go for it on fourth when it made absolutely no sense, whether analytics or feel. And then he's not going for it when you should go for it. This year, he just said, the outside noise doesn't matter to me. This is my identity. The Lions go for it on fourth more than any team in football. And he's just going to continue to do it. He has the offensive play. I mean, they just want a shootout where 80 points were scored. He has a dude that's protecting him and making him look good in that offensive coordinator. However, I will say those that cover the Lions that I know said that the vibe in year three from the second half of year two is completely different. And management feels good that they didn't bail on him. You know, Matt Patricia was a disaster of epic proportions. We <laughs> talked about it on this podcast. Yes, we did many times. Like when I say the the news or the gossip that I heard coming out of Allen Park 
was as bad as any organization. We've been doing this our whole lives. I've never heard anything with what people felt towards Matt Patricia. The opposite is true with Dan Campbell. So that brings me to this. Can you see all of a sudden a heel turn? Can you see a change where year three, it starts to, you mentioned the win streak potentially at the end of the year. Could that buoy Matt Eberflus and my assumption that he's going to get fired is just stupid. That's, and that's the thing. And we just don't know what the vibe is at Hallis Hall. In, and all of a sudden we hear Ryan Poles and, and this Adam Johns piece. And that's where Bears fans are a little nervous. I, I don't know. I just sit there like logically you can't keep Matt Eberflus if they win, right. if they go four and 13, you just right. can't. But you know, right now I think the vibe is positive. This was all spoken before the Carolina Panthers game where they're sitting there going, all right, we're going to beat the Panthers. And like, I think Hallis Hall right now, thinks the bears are about to have a, a nice finish to the season, right? They're their last eight games. They're one and zero right now. Maybe they, they feel they split the next four games. They're not going to, maybe they feel they split the next four games win and, you know, go five and three or six and two down the stretch. If that happens. Yeah. Matt Eberflus is going to keep his job. And I think maybe that's where the positivity is, is that Hallis Hall polls and, and Warren and, and McCaskey are expecting the bears to have a good finish to the season. I'm not, and if they don't have a good finish to the season, then I think you're, you're going to make a change. And, and yeah, the defense is, is playing well. Like the, you're not, you know, you're not going to run the ball on the bears on, on Sunday. Detroit's just not going to do it. Like the literally in the last five games, the bears are averaging two yards per carry. And he's uh, calling he, plays. He refuses calling plays because Alan Williams, something bizarre happened and he got fired. Which is not a great look for him as a CEO. Also another HR infraction a couple of weeks ago with the head, yep, the running back coach, running backs coach. Yep. That ancillary stuff not great not great but the defense is playing well now they had a pass rush against carolina because of montez sweat he had he didn't have record a true statistic but he had i think eight pressures like he got to the quarterback he didn't have any tackles or sacks but that opened it up for other players can he do that against a good offensive line we'll see the bears pass rush before that game they had literally had you know they had three sacks i think it was against carolina five sacks against washington and five sacks against literally everybody else like they they just don't have a pass rush secondary is pretty good but when you don't have a pass rush your your secondary is not going to be sticky forever so when you know i, I kind of like detroit to actually get a measuring stick on this defense that's playing better right now but you know they whoop the raiders you know, the, they whooped the Vikings without, and I'm talking about defensively. I'm not saying they won the game. They lost it to Minnesota, but they, you know, Minnesota had six points offensively in that game. The defense played really well. They played really well against the Raiders. They played really well against Carolina. They did not play really well against the Chargers. You know, they get Justin Herbert had all day. So is this just a factor of the Bears defense not playing good teams and looking good? Or have they turned the corner and that, you know, this is another piece of the Matt Eberflus puzzle. Has this defense turned the quarter and are they going to play like this the next seven games? If they do, that's going to be something that he can hang his hat on. But if Detroit puts up 34 points, if, you know, Atlanta scores some points, Minnesota with Dobbs and Justin Jefferson back, do they put 27, 28 points on? If this defense starts looking more like it did the first few games of the season, then, yeah, everything's going to fall apart for Eberflus. Hallis Hall, based on what you said, Hallis Hall could look to Detroit and think the exact opposite of what we've been discussing. They could say Matt needs his Ben Johnson, meaning 
if the rest of the season goes well, and there certainly seemed to be some energy, it's Carolina. But again, I don't know. There was something about that halftime little trick up my sleeve thing. And you saw the joke in the postgame presser where he asked the reporter, what do you have up your sleeve? It did feel like all of a sudden he was just like, he felt the question I have is, could you go out and find your Ben Johnson, a young nobody's heard of? Remember, Dan Campbell was calling plays. Ben Johnson was on his staff. He just handed over the play calling duties. So could you justify Eberflus next year if this ends on a high, like it did in year two for Campbell, go find your offensive coordinator with these assets? I don't know. That's, that is – Poles has a tough decision to make because he does have the assets. A lot is on the line. Yeah, and I I don't know what the you know the solution is, uh you know, bring in Ken Dorsey. I mean that, that that's the most the worst scapegoat firing I've ever just seen. Just had the firing last night, and the scape McDermott. I mean, there needs to be a conversation. Like that is such a stale organization right now, and to fire Dorsey to pretend like that's the issue. Yeah, pretend it's that's not a great offense. It just you know schematically. However, that's not the issue. Yeah. So I don't know what the solution is, but I think that's why with with Chicago, you really just kind of need to see how this plays out in the next seven games, because clearly I don't think any decisions have been made at Hallis Hall. They're waiting to see how this plays out and they can go from there. So if the the thing is right now is at least, you know, from the outside and, and listening to you, you know, Detroit, even right before they turned the corner and got hot the second half of the season, it felt like they were close. Like it felt like they were on to something. They just weren't getting over the hump. Chicago, that's, that's what they keep saying at the press. Oh, we're close. We're close. We're close. But when you watch this team, they're, they're not close. I mean, the Carolina Panthers game was a win, but that wasn't a win. You can't look at that at a coaching staff and be like, that was, we did well. Like Carolina is, they're the worst team in the NFL and you won by three. And if Bryce Young had picked up 10 more yards, you would have been going overtime. Like, you, you, that's not that that that's not a good football. That's not that's not a victory. Andy Rufus is not going into Ryan Poles' office and be like, "We got that victory." Like, no, you're just like, "All right, we won." By the way, just as a tip to betters or potential betters, because everybody's legalizing sports betting, you do realize the Bears closed three and a half in that game. The Bears shouldn't be a three and a half point favorite against anybody. That includes Carolina. Three is the key number as far as games fall on three more than any other number when NFL betting, actually college betting as well. Once that went to three and a half, the play was Carolina, and obviously the number landed three. But back to your assertion about Dan Campbell, and I will say this because now I've talked myself into Matt Eberflus sticking around, which is a disaster over 29 minutes. I will say that, like you said, with Campbell, even though they were losing games – It did feel like they were close. They were losing a lot of tight games. And remember his introductory presser, Bill. He came in and he said kneecaps, but he also said something else. He had no identity. He said, you thought you were getting Matt Campbell, who's been a disaster at Iowa State, but you got Dan Campbell because he was so uncomfortable, so unsure of himself, so bumbling and stumbling over his words. His approach and his just overall demeanor now is absolutely night and day. I know it sounds cheesy, but I keep on harping on the trick up the sleeve. If Eberflus can go from that presser that he had on Wednesday before the Carolina game, if 
if all of a sudden Eberflus can start to feel comfortable, because what you saw with the guy that was saying Justin Fields is not going to play tomorrow against Carolina, Justin Fields might play against Carolina. What was the question? Like he was so flustered that you just have a guy that had a defensive coordinator with the FBI involved. He had an HR infraction with a running backs coach, and you've got a losing season with no quarterback and no question. Like you had a guy that was flustered. If all of a sudden he can put something together in the second half, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Hall keeps him. I just don't know if it's the right decision. No, I don't think it would be the right decision at all. And that's that's where, you know, the the, the nerves are a little frayed right now around Chicago Bears fans. So w- w- before we wrap up, let me ask you this about the Detroit Lions, because as two teams that have been, you know, neck and neck in terms of misery for basically this entire century, the last, you know, 20 some years. I know the bears had a couple more peaks than Detroit did, but it hasn't been good. What was the big key for this turnaround for Detroit? Was it Ben Johnson? Was it Campbell's culture? Was it Brad Holmes and, 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 you know, the talent thing, like what, what do you think, what do you put behind a a team that was, you know, constantly winning four or five games every year to now, you know, being in the front driver's seat for the division. I'm going to give you two weird answers. The first one is Penny Sewell. Why? Because Jamar Chase was sitting there. Like, remember that was the conversation that Cincinnati was having. Are we going to go chase? Are we going to go Sewell to protect Joe Burrow? They ended up going chase. The lions go Sewell. Sewell's first year wasn't great, but all of a sudden the anchor of Decker on one side and Sewell on the other side has really settled down that offensive front and made everything possible offensively. Secondly, Dan Campbell hated Jared Goff. Brad Holmes comes in and makes the trade for Jared Goff. Dan Campbell couldn't wait to move on from Jared Goff until <laughs> one, and I'm not trying to mitigate the quarterback position until one thing happened. He then elevated Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson has puppeteered Jared Goff perfectly. We saw the puppeteered Nate. We saw he could be puppeteered by Sean McVay on that run to the Super Bowl. Those are my two answers. Again, culture starts with Campbell. Two, shoring up the offensive front. And three, bringing in an offensive coordinator or elevating an offensive coordinator that, to me, dances through a game like nobody I've seen. All right. So Ben Johnson leaves after this season. Disaster. Where it doesn't it doesn't and it, it doesn't matter where. He's going to get a head coaching job. Of course. What do you think of the Lions next year? I mean, I'm sure it'll be who replaces Ben Johnson is 500. They'll regress that much. Oh, Dan, Cam- Dan Campbell's a nice guy. Like my my friends that work at the Ford plant in Inkster, they're happy with Dan Campbell. My my stepfather, who's you know lifelong general man, like he, they're happy with with Dan Campbell because it, it, he feels like Michigan. He feels like Detroit. He they just won a, they won 40, 41 to thirty eight in in Los Angeles against two players, Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert, and a donk that is a betting term, and Brandon Staley. Like that was an offensive win. Where what does Dan Campbell have to do with that? I don't know. We'll see moving forward. He deserves every ounce of credit for having a seven and two team right now. But between you and I, the credit goes to the offensive coordinator. All right. Well, you heard and it there. Before we go. All right. All right. What do you got? I know you have to go. We, I have to thank you as a White Sox fan. My mom <laughs> and those watching on Valleys in Detroit have been subjected to not just bad baseball, and I'm talking all time bad baseball, but they have been subjected to 
a bad broadcast. For oh, those that don't know, Mario and Pemba and his partner at the time got into a fight during the game. And ever since then, the Detroit booth on television has been a disaster. In Michigan, during the summer, you have that as kind of your companion, riding shotgun, even if the baseball's bad, you have a broadcast. There is also, like I'll use the term again, a dance that you go through during the summer. Jason Benetti, we worked with a guy that's a savant, mad dog Chris Russo. Better, he's just, he's just good at what he does. I literally put Benetti, who is the White Sox play-by-play guy, in the same category as far as just settling in and getting into a rhythm of a baseball game, I don't know if there's anybody better right now. And the Detroit Tigers somehow paying to get Benetti and Reinsdorf losing him was a freaking mind-blowing tweet when I read it. Yeah, no, that 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 look, that's a nice coup for the for the Detroit community. He's he's a f- fantastic broadcaster. Great guy, and, and he's a great guy. And what's amazing is he's he's this was like in essence kind of like his dream job doing the White Sox. He's from the area. It's the White Sox organization is that much of a dumpster fire right now. Apparently, you know, I heard something that Jerry Reinsdorf didn't even like him. You know, he didn't like his, he didn't get his sense of humor, which is just terrible. He's hilarious. He's fantastic. Uh, you know, him and Stone, that was a great combination. But yeah, the, the White Sox organization, we could do an entire podcast on that because that is, as a White Sox fan, that, that, is, that, is, that is rough. For, for me, this stretch, the, the, this, this team, the Tim Anderson, you know, Mancata, you know, this whole Jimenez, this whole core that they put together being as disappointing a, as it's been to me is the most disappointing in my, you know, 45, you know, let's call it 40 years of White Sox fandom. Cause I, you know, my first year I remember them is 83 when they won the division. That's my first like White Sox memory. The, that's the most this is the most disappointing stretch of white Sox baseball i've ever had in my life you know the, those late 80s early 90s teams not being able to get over the the hump that was bad uh but you know this this is brutal like i i think a lot of white Sox fans think of that white flag trade when they were what two back at cleveland in 95 and traded away all their pitchers like because no one they weren't beating cleveland that cleveland team was uh-huh. phenomenal so I, I that wasn't even it for me. This not being able to put together a winning team with this with this group of players that was brutal, brutal. Not to be overly dramatic, but a baseball season is very familial. Losing Benetti is a big deal for White Sox fans. Like that is, I'm sorry, but that outside of on the field. Before last thing before we go, NFC AFC. Would you right now say Eagles Chiefs rematch? I mean that's the, that's the way you certainly have to lean. Um, I don't see any. I, I still don't trust the Cowboys as as well as their plan. They seem to be really good at just beating bad teams and then you know squeaking ones out against good teams. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any money on Brock Purdy going to a Super Bowl. I'm not saying he can't with that supporting cast. So in the NFC, I think the Eagles are the comfortable team to pick there. The AFC obviously is going to be a lot more of a, a dogfight and, and be a, a battle. But you know some of those teams that we expected to be there with Kansas city, like Buffalo and Cincinnati. I know Cincinnati was hot there, but you know, it's possible if Cincinnati doesn't get hot again, they don't even make the playoffs. There's enough good teams in the AFC. They could, they could be on the outside looking in Buffalo's not doesn't look like they're getting in. So right now it would be hard for me to pick something other than Kansas city and Philadelphia. Bill, as we say goodbye every year, I say, I'm sorry to America for Detroit on Thanksgiving as we say goodbye this year, I'd like to not say not this year. 
I'd like to say you're welcome, America. <laughs> and uh, and we're, you're welcome, America, for not having the Bears on a national game on Thanksgiving. Because I think uh, between the, the Sunday night football game and the Thursday night football game, and they got a Monday night football game coming up against Minnesota that they announced will not be flexed. I think the, uh, the national football audience has had enough of the Bears this year. Godspeed, my friend. All right, there he is, Patrick Maher. Again, VEASAN and DraftKings at the Rap Radio on the Twixter machine. Patrick, thanks for so much time. That was fun. We'll talk to you soon. Great to see you, Bill. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. There he is, Patrick Maher, everybody. That was a good conversation. He said, you know, Patrick, you may not have, he- have heard of him. You know, he's, he's not local Chicago, and we know we, I have a lot of local Chicago people on, but he is a, trust me when I say this, he is a football junkie. This man watches all the football. He can feast his eyes upon college pro. He watches it all. And when he tells you that Ben Johnson calls the best offensive game plan he has seen, he is the best offensive play caller he has seen. He is not talking about in Detroit. He is talking about in the NFL. He is that impressed with him. He is taught again, you heard him. He is not a believer in Jared Goff. This is more of a Johnson Goff is more like McVay Goff when the Rams got to the Super Bowl. He is a big believer. And if he's a big believer, I am going to run with that opinion. Ben Johnson is, you know, again, if the Bears have Williams or May, give me Ben Johnson to develop that quarterback. That That is the way to go as far as I'm concerned. I don't have any hesitation that 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 will you know that's going to be my number one choice if Matt Eberflus is fired, and you know we'll we'll see how this plays out here over the next seven games. I have a feeling Eberflus leaves no doubt. The Bears win one or two games the rest of the way, finish with four or five wins, and they say adios at the end of the year. the The positivity right now is absolutely because the Bears are expecting to win more football games. Right, they're expecting to win. A couple games here, you know, they're expecting to finish, you know, five and three, six and two kind of thing. So that's where that comes from. So I still think Matt Eberflus is gone at the end of the year because I have no confidence that he's going to win football games down the stretch. We will see because this is about the healthiest they've ever been here going into this Detroit game. You know, Nate Davis, we'll see later this week what's going on with him. If he's back, look out because they have basically their starting offensive line. I expect Khalil Herbert back. And, you know, I don't know about what's going on with Tremaine Edmonds, but again, he's not missed. Jack Sanborn is just as good as Tremaine Edmonds, and he's $17 million a year cheaper. So that's what we're looking at. But as we do, we wrap up with questions that you guys sent to me via Twitter at Bill T. Zimmerman. We'll start with Chris Armstrong, who has any concerns moving Tevin back to left guard. And Chris, I will say this. It makes a lot of sense to me to keep him on the right side and have pair him with Darnell Wright and have them be the partnership moving forward. They look really good together. They play well together. But I will say that Nate Davis played well together as well. And before Tev swung over to the right side, he looked good from the left side as well. 
I'd like to see him and Braxton Jones play together. That's something we haven't seen this year and see, maybe we'll be just as impressed with that. We know Davis and Wright played well together and you're a center away from having a pretty good offensive line. So while I would like to see Tevin Jenkins at right guard, again, again, I'm going to sit here and look at Nate Davis, who has played right guard exclusively through college and pros. He has not played other positions. He is not even a left guard. He is strictly a right guard. And now he's, what, 26, 27 years old, has been playing that position since he's at least been 18. You got to let Nate Davis play right guard, move Tev back to left guard. He's proven he can bounce around position to position. So we'll go with it. Maybe he's not quite as good over there, but Davis and a not quite as good Jenkins is still much better than the other alternatives. Get Cody Whitehair to the bench. Let's get to some more questions. Let's do Jake knows ball. Can flu save his job by selling Dorsey as OC and Frazier as DC to polls and ownership. Again, I don't think Eberflus is going to have to save his job with coaching changes. Matt Eberflus is going to save his job with wins. If the if they feel Matt Eberflus is the guy, this isn't a who are you going to bring at, in at coordinator kind of thing. That that's not gonna that's not gonna matter as far as I'm concerned. What's gonna matter is do they believe in Matt Eberflus? And if they believe in Matt Eberflus, then they'll be fine with the DC and the OC, whether that's Getzy or if there's a change there. I don't, ex- I don't expect that. Matt Eberflus is either going to get fired because he's not worthy of being the head coach or Matt Eberflus is going to keep his job because he won enough games and Poles and Warren think he is good enough to lead this team into the future. I don't know how they could possibly see that. It, it just, it, it beat me over the head that he's not the guy, but we'll see what happens. But I don't think bringing in big time coordinators is going to do anything for the Chicago Bears and Matt Eberflus. I, I don't think that's that's a path for Eberflus. You know, again, does he have relationships with these guys? I don't even think so. But you're kind of talking about an all-star coordinator staff. I, again, Eberflus, are you, are you good enough to be the head coach or are you not? That's, that's all we're evaluating here. And I think it's pretty obvious he's not. Hopefully Warren and Poles agree. Let's get to a couple draft questions from JT Barsak. What do the Bears do if they get the fourth and fifth pick? All right. So here's interesting, because obviously, if you got the top two picks, you got to take a quarterback. If you have the third pick, if the Chicago Bears have a new coach, and it's an offensive mining coach, and they want to move on from Justin Fields, and Carolina gives them the third pick and the seventh or eighth pick, I don't know what's going to happen with quarterbacks here. We'll see if a QB3 emerges into being a top 10 caliber player. They usually do. Someone's going to get hot in postseason play in college, you know, have a big bowl game, have a big college football playoff, you know, Big Ten championship, SEC championship, ACC, whatever it might be, right? And then they, they, they star at the combine and they shoot up everyone boards. At this time last year, Anthony Richardson was considered a second-round pick. A couple people were like, he could go in the first round, and people thought they were crazy. And by draft time, he's a top-five pick. So I still expect a quarterback like that because there's enough positivity with these quarterbacks that I expect someone to emerge and shoot up the draft boards. Uh, You know, they're not there now, but I expect it. But 
If I'm the Chicago Bears and I have the third overall pick, I have such a man crush on Marvin Harrison Jr., I take him. I think he's that good. And then you have, what, the seventh you know, seventh or eighth pick, something like that. That's where you take your quarterback if you have to. You take QB3. If you're not getting Williams in May and you're moving on from fields, I don't take a quarterback at three. I take Marvin Harrison. Now, you're saying fourth, fifth pick, and I assume you're saying that because you're assuming Williams, May, and Harrison are gone. So I will jump with that assumption and say that those three guys are gone. What do I do? If I'm the Chicago Bears and Ryan Poles, I would take Olu Fashionu, the left tackle from Penn State. Yes, I know Braxton Jones is there. I would trade Braxton Jones two years of control, fifth round you know, rookie contract. Someone's going to want Braxton Jones, and they're going to give you a pretty good pick, I would think. I think you could probably get a third round pick for Braxton Jones. I don't know if you can get it too. You know, Montez Sweat went for it too. But I think Braxton Jones could get you a third round pick. Give me a third round pick for Braxton Jones and give me Olu Fashionu so I have him and Wright on the outside. And we've got Nate Davis under control here for the Bears for a couple years. And Tevin Jenkins hopefully stays healthy, gets a contract extension. That's the offensive line. Sign a veteran center. That offensive line is awesome. And you heard... Patrick talking about Penny Sewell and, you know, having those two awesome tackles and how it stabilized the offense. That's what I do with the fourth pick. I might be a little unpopular, but I'm a big fan of fashion. And then the fifth pick, I trade down. At this point, you know, Brock Bowers, I, I don't need to live in 12 personnel with Cole Komet. I don't want to take a tight end. I understand he, he could be a very special player. I, I don't want Bowers with this certain situation. I would trade down. Maybe then you take Newton from Illinois and you get a three-tech in here, or you take an edge, something like that. Or maybe then you can take a quarterback, depending on what happens with the third quarterback in this draft. And I'll use that to jump into Cav Manning's question. What's your read on J.J. McCarthy? Are you in the camp of Mayor Williams? And if neither of them are able to be picked up, we try again with Fields, or do you think Fields can't be saved at this point? If we have the first overall pick, I'd rather get a ransom for it. So, again, first or second pick, they Fields is gone. Like, I, I again, I'm the guy who put out the tweet saying an NFL analyst, and again, I believe him, basically said there is nothing Justin Fields can do to save his position if that if the Bears are in that position. I still believe that. I know Williams hasn't been quite as sharp May as, you know, some people put May ahead of Williams. Whatever, it doesn't matter. They have the first or second pick. They're taking a quarterback. They're trading Justin Fields. I'm confident about that. I know that's going to be unpopular with some Bears fans. It could be a little unpopular with me, not going to lie. It's going to rub me a little bit the wrong way because I'm a big supporter of Fields, and I think he's gotten a raw deal here for the most part. But if that happens, again, I think they take a quarterback and Fields is gone. In terms of J.J. McCarthy, I need to see more. And again, he is trending the right way. But is J.J. McCarthy going to be worthy of the third, fourth, fifth pick? I don't know. Now, previously, the J.J. McCarthy I saw in 2022 and, and before did not impress me very much as a quarterback. Made some big-time throws here or there, but there were some questionable decisions. Now, he's not throwing the ball a ton. He's not getting, like, Joe Burrow reps 
passing the football. Like, Bur- I mean, Burrow dropped back every time at, at LSU as last year. You know, that's not Michigan's game. They're going to keep running the football. He's not going to throw as much. Now, he looks a lot better, and he's looking sharp. So I want to see kind of how McCarthy develops the rest of the way and see if he falls into that QB3 spot. Looks like he might. But again, is Shadur Sanders coming out? What What's going to be the you know the decision process with him? Dion says he's not coming out. Who knows? We just heard Quinn Ewers. There was a report from on three that he's not coming out. Then his camp came out, you know, Texas came out and said he hasn't made any decisions. So we're going to start hearing all this stuff with these quarterbacks. But in terms of J.J. McCarthy, it to me, it's still TBD. I'm not sitting here saying May, Williams, or Bust. Because again, and I know I've said this on this podcast before, if you are a head coach, if you're Ben Johnson or whoever, if they fire Matt Eberflus and you bring in a new coach. Now, if Matt Eberflus and Luke Getzey are still here, could they run him back with fields? Yeah, that's that's a possibility because that means the Bears had, you know, enough wins to keep Eberflus's job. So they're picking 10, 12, 15. And the Panthers, let's say if the Panthers give you the third pick, but well, then you're taking Harrison, and I don't know if you're going to take a quarterback there with the other pick in the first round. There's where you may run it back with Fields. But if a new coach is here, and the three seasons prior, two head coaches were fired, and the other season, the Bears finished with the worst record in the NFL, you tell me what NFL head coach, especially one who's like a coordinator and getting an opportunity, the first time to be a head coach, says, I'm going to run it with Justin Fields. Forget the tape, the results, and that's unfair to Justin Fields, but the results are two coaches were fired and the worst record in the NFL. That isn't going to be something that a coach is going to want to hitch his wagon to. Just not going to happen. I I just cannot see it. A couple more questions before we wrap up. Sean Eberhardt, presuming Eberflus is fired, how appealing with this head coach opening compared to others that might exist around the league, like the Chargers, Panthers, Patriots, etc., It has a chance to be very appealing. If the Panthers gift the Bears the number one pick, and I think, Sean, that's the, the crux of, of your question. Where is the Panthers pick? The Panthers somehow get hot, and, get, and the Bears win a few games as well. And they still, you know, let's say the Bears finish with six wins, and the Panthers finish with five wins, and Eberflus is fired. If that happens, the Panthers with the fifth, you know, with five wins, they're probably going to give them, you know, like what, maybe like the fifth pick? And then if the Bears have six wins, that's going to be like the 10th or 11th pick. That is not that appealing, because you're going to sit there and go, I don't have a path to QB1 or QB2. I, you know, you're going to get some good players, but... You have a team that does not have a culture of winning. You don't have a path to a quarterback. You have Justin Fields as an option, but that's going to scare a lot of new coaches. They're not going to trust that. So that situation, you know, I'm not saying that the Panthers situation is a dumpster fire. I don't think it's going to be that bad unless some coach still believes highly in Bryce Young. And I don't know if they will after this season he's putting on tape. But, you know, Chargers, Justin Herbert. That's appealing, right? I can go coach Justin Herbert. I already know I have a surefire, great quarterback. That is going to be very appealing. 
If the Bears have the number one pick and you are a coach who's going into a situation where you're going to have money to spend in March right out of the gate, you can pick up a couple of the guys. You can go to Ryan Poles and go, we need these guys on my team. You'll have the opportunity to get those guys. You have the number one pick. So you are picking your quarterback. Caleb Williams or Drake May, if they're hiring an offensive coach, Ryan Poles is going to sit them down and say, you are going to be involved in this position. We are not going to start off with saying, I want Caleb Williams, you want Drake May, and we're going to argue. We are going to be on the same page. You are going to have influence as to who is the quarterback of the Chicago Bears in 2024. Then you have that quarterback with what I think is a developing solid offensive line, who I would hope at that point they they could have a center and have a complete offensive line. DJ Moore, if you get really lucky and the Bears kind of fall apart here, Marvin Harrison or someone like that, even if you're in the back part of the top 10, there are some other really good wide receivers in this class that are going to be taken in the top half of the first round. I think you're going to see three, four wide receivers gone by the middle of the first round. You're going to have opportunities to get those guys as well. So you're going to be in a position, if you are a coach, when you look at this opportunity with the Chicago Bears, it may be juicier for some coaches than the Chargers. Justin Herbert, I understand, is going to be a pull, but there's a lot of other issues in L.A. And while L.A. is a big market, the Chargers aren't interesting in the market. Chicago is always a national game. If you get Chicago as a coach, if you start winning 10 to 12 games a year consistently for four or five years, the Chicago Bears become a rock star team in the league and you are their head coach. That is appealing to a lot of coaches. So again, Sean, it, it, it really depends on that Panthers pick. Are they in a position to get a hot, hot quarterback prospect to go with everything else that, that Poles has put in place? Really appealing. Are they not in a position to do that and it's fields for a new coach or QB3 or QB4 in this draft? Not nearly as appealing. So that is going to be critical for that for that position. And we'll finish with Chicago Muse. Are Brat Burgers the second best burger meat behind beef? I'm a big fan of Bratwurst. Uh, I cook Bratwurst way too often. It is probably clogging my arteries at this point. But... Bratwurst with onions and, and peppers, fabulous. So you're going to use, you know, brat burgers. That is delicious. Big fan. But I've spent a lot of time out west, Wyoming and, and that, you know, the, the big sky region. And there are some really good places out there that you can get yourself fresh buffalo meat. And I'm telling you, if you have never had a buffalo burger, they are delicious. It is, you could argue, I, I won't, beef I'm still putting number one. You could argue that buffalo meat is better. And it's it's leaner, it's, it's a healthier meat, and it is a delicious burger. So I am still going to say that buffalo is the second best burger meat. And if you haven't had it, try it. Don't, don't you know, find a place that serves a good Buffalo burger. You can find them in the Midwest. You can find them all over the place. Now, there's a place in Manhattan that has a great Buffalo burger. You can find them. So find a good Buffalo burger if you've never had it and try it. I think you'll be impressed. Now, we'll finish up with our prediction like we always do. Detroit Lions on the road 
a team that is hot, a team that is definitely better coached than the Chicago Bears, and a team that will beat the Chicago Bears. I, you know, I finally picked the Bears, and hey, a win is a win. I picked them, and the Bears won. That is not something that has happened at all this season because their wins prior to that, I had picked them to lose. That's the first time that's happened. But unfortunately, the winning streak ends at one. Not that that's a winning streak. The Chicago Bears, they cannot compete with the Detroit Lions. I'm not saying they're going to get blown out. I do think the Lions will win this thing comfortably. The Bears absolutely could get blown out. They could lose by three touchdowns here easily. But I think they hang in there where it's never really in doubt, but it's not humiliating. Something like 31 to 20. The Detroit Lions will defeat the Chicago Bears, and the Bears fall to 3-8 and eight on the season. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you soon. Bear down, everybody. Adios. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.